Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. Welcome to fall. Is this not amazing? Like, don't you just like want to eat apple pie and drink like pumpkin spice lattes? Come on. Do you know, I'm just telling you, this is a fat guy telling you this. More people gain weight in the fall than any other season of the year. Did you know that? I'm just telling you, they do, because we eat all that good apple pie. We drink those pumpkin spice latte. Anybody else added the, the vegetable candy corn to your diet yet? It's a real vegetable. I eat it every day. Amen. You don't get a body like this by not doing that. I'm just telling you. So, well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. And we're beginning a brand new series on the book of Galatians. And so this week and the next five weeks, I'm going to be walking you through, and I hope you'll be back next week as I continue on in chapter 2. Each week, we're going to take a different chapter. So if, you, if you're the kind of person you kind of like to study up a little bit, then you can read, get your commentaries out, and do all that kind of stuff. And uh, I'm going to walk through. This is not going to be a lecture. This isn't Dr. Cole giving a professorship lecture of, to, to kind of exegete this. I don't have that amount of time in this, in this setting. I, I also have a big um, belief that uh, preaching should be very applicable. And so if what I am saying or whoever's preaching on the weekend, if, it, if you can't live it out Monday through Friday, it's of no value. And if you don't know how to translate it to the 21st century, it's of very little to no value. It may be good, it may be truth, I just don't get it. And so what I really want to do in this series is take this book that really talks about the freedom that we have in Jesus through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all about the gospel. It's all about Paul defending the gospel, presenting the gospel, straightening out errors that, that have now, at this point in time, about 20 years after the, the death of Jesus is, is when this was written, it started to happen, and some erosion and some doctrinal drifts and things that have happened, and, and Paul's trying to course correct a little bit, but how does that apply to you and I in the 21st century? How does that help me on Monday or Tuesday or Thursday? That's what I'll be doing in this. So I'm going to give you some, some, some some basic outline, but I'm not just going to go verse by verse. I'm not going to go and just walk through the entire passage. I'm going to try to get the crux of what each chapter is about and, and download that so that there's downloadable living. And so it's not exhaustive, but it should be something that, that should, should help you and build your walk. So again, we're starting today. And today, Paul begins this whole gospel, excuse me, this whole book of Galatians, where he is emphatic that there is no other gospel except that of Jesus Christ. And what's happening is, is that this is beginning to, again, this was written about 49 A.D., so after the death of Christ. And so there, the church has been going. Things are happening. Uh, it's about 20 years after Jesus has died on the cross. And, 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 and in this, the gospel has been out. And so what's happening is there begins to become some doctrinal drift and some erosion. And there's some problems. And Paul comes back to this point about there is no other gospel other than Jesus. Now, I want to go somewhere that's not in this book, but that will kind of help us in our own history. And I think there's some parallels here that we can really lock onto. The Civil War in the, in the late 1800s was the deadliest conflict that we have experienced as a nation. Uh, more people died in the Civil War than in World War I and World War II combined. 
as far as American lives. And the whole issue was over slavery. It was the fact that every person, regardless of their race, is a human being. And that every person has value and that every person should have freedom. And, and, uh, and Abraham Lincoln, the, the, the president, in the middle of the Civil War, makes what we know to be as the Emancipation Proclamation, where he proclaims the emancipation of the slaves. He proclaims the, the freedom of those who are bound. I just want to read a couple parts of this, because this, this, this really connects with what we're talking about today in Galatians chapter 1. He said in part, on the first day of January in the year of our Lord, 1863, all persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of a state, the people whereof shall be in rebellion against the United States, shall then be then, then henceforth and forever free. And upon this act, sincerely believed to be an act of justice, warranted by the Constitution upon military necessity, I invoke the considerate judgment of mankind in the gracious favor of Almighty God, in a witness thereof, I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the President of the United States to be affixed, signed, President Abraham Lincoln. When Lincoln signed that document, it, at that moment, was a decree that emancipated, that set free every slave in the United States. Now, the war was still being won uh, by, by, by the Union, but at the same time, it was announcing that slavery had been abolished and that this was going to be the new path forward. Here's what this has to do with Galatians. When you read the book of Galatians, don't read it like it's a 2,000-year-old document. Look at it in the same frame as you would reading the Emancipation Proclamation proclamation because the book of Galatians is a treaty. It's a proclamation that you and I, even though we were born into sin, we were slaves into sin, we have been set free. And therefore, we do not have to live as slaves. We can live as free men and women if we'll simply step in to the freedom that Jesus Christ bought on Calvary's cross that's called the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that we are now free. It's our emancipation proclamation. And so over the next couple of weeks, I want to unpack this because I think that there are times where we sometimes will find ourselves, as did the, 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 in the church of Galatia, we'll find ourselves going back to very legalistic tendencies or, or doctrinal drift or, or we kind of color what we believe and how we think instead of just going, what does God's word say? See, Paul begins this, the first opening verses, he begins this particular book different than the other books. When he writes to the church in Philippi, he says, hey, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. Galatians, he does not have any flowery, nice comments. He goes directly for the juggler. He goes directly for the issue because he's become furious. Because what's happening is, is the church in Galatia has allowed a doctrine to come in that's put people that are free back under the slavery of sin. That's put people that have been freed by the gospel of Jesus Christ back under the religious restraints that Jesus Christ came to set them free from. And so he, he doesn't have any courteous opening remarks. And even though this, this, this book is only six chapters... Uh, Galatians is kind of a spiritual dynamite because here's what happens. It answers the age-old question, how can I find real meaning in life? If you're going to take notes, just write that phrase down. How can I find real meaning in life? That's what Paul really, really unpacks as he writes this book. See, there are basically three ways people approach meaning in life. 
And, and this isn't exhaustive, but this is some pretty big categories. And this is what's happening in the first century, especially in the church. One is legalism, where you keep all the rules. You're a rule keeper. Now, if, if you're that type of person, everything is, you know, there's black and white in your world, and there's just total contrast in your world, and there has to be a winner, and it has to be a loser. And, and last weekend's tie, you know, I'm going with this, really messes with you as it does with me. It's easy for you to become legalistic. Not because you'd want a tie, but because it's about the rules. This is just kind of a way that we do as people. Some people basically have turned their Christianity, their, their, and at this point in time, again, a few decades after the death of Jesus Christ, the gospel has been presented, the church has been established, people are having church, and this is happening. And then all of a sudden what happens is they begin to get religious. They begin to get legalistic. Now let me just stop here for a second. Life Church was planted in the fall of 2000, in September of 2000. We're 18 years into this. If we're not careful, within the next decade of our lives, we'll become very crusty Christians. We'll become very legalistic Christians. We'll begin to say, well, I remember when so-and-so was here at the very beginning, and I, I was here, and he was here, and they were here, and you're new, and we're old, and how long have you been here, and, and we were here, and because what's happening now is we've already had a generation that's been born while we've been here. And after two generations or three generations, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves in this religious system. If you've been serving Christ for more than, say, two decades, you can find yourself very easy, if you're not careful, to kind of be a rule keeper. Why? Because it's easy. Because quite frankly, the gospel is messy. What Jesus does is messy. And, 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 and it, it's much, it takes much more time than to go, you're right and you're wrong. And, and the truth of the matter is, there is right and there is wrong, but we're not the judge. And Paul would say, this side of eternity, we see like through stained glass. We, we see shapes and, and we see images, but we don't get everything. And so legalism comes in because it's an easy way to try, to try to fill that, how do I find meaning in life? See, legalism teaches that Jesus plus good works equals salvation. That's the problem when it comes to the church. Legalism teaches that Jesus plus good works equals salvation. So you have Jesus, but you've got to have good works. And the amount of good works that you have is, well, the more good works, the more God loves you. It's not true. He can't love you any more or any less. And there may be times he's happy and pleased with you and times he's not pleased with you, but he still loves you the same way you love your children. You don't love them more or less. Like is a completely different conversation. I'm just joking. But you don't love them any different. Why? Because the deal is, is legalism sets up an impossible standard because there's no way that we can keep all the rules at the same time. There's no room, and there's no room for error. You have to execute with perfection. So it's about you have to keep the rules in order to be saved. You have to live a certain way for God to love you more. It's just not true. And before I move on, I just really want to say this. I, I grew up in a church that was very much like this in a lot of ways, that, that it was about rules. And the problem with rules are is that they're, they're trying to create a buffer 
so that you don't actually infringe. It's, it's really what the Old Testament, when you look at the, the law of God, it was these are the right things and the wrong things. And then the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the religious establishment, instead of making sure that we didn't sin, they just they, they expanded it so that if we broke these outer legalistic rules, we didn't sin. The problem is, is then this becomes so much bigger and then so much bigger, and there's a creep to all of this that it just becomes impossible. And then people say this about the church. Either that's impossible and I can't do that, or they're just filled full of a bunch of hypocrites. You ever heard that before? I'm sure you have. I don't have anything to do with God. It's just a bunch of hypocrites. When the reality is, is that we're all saved by grace. And none of us are righteous. Not one. Myself included. Look, if you don't think I don't have problems, just see me after service. And we'll, you just meet me for a minute. You'll figure it out real fast. Hey, I'm just one beggar to another beggar where to find food. I'm not any better. I don't have it all figured out. This side of eternity, we're not going to have it all figured out. We're processing it. We're on a journey together. We're walking on this together. But legalism wants to say, okay, these people are right and these people are wrong. These people are saved and these people are lost. This is this. And, and, and again, what the problem is, is judging man's heart. And no one can judge your heart except for God alone. And I believe that even in life. I don't think it's ever fair to judge people's motives. Judge the fruit of their life. Judge their actions. But don't judge their motives. And so that's one way that we group. Another way is we go the total opposite of legalism. It's called hedonism. There's, there are no rules. In hedonism, there is no rules. It's the opposite of legalism. It is a life. It's living a life without boundaries. There are no boundaries. Nothing is off limits. Kind of like Outback Steakhouse. Their model is, motto is no rules, just right. Well, that's fine when it comes to steak, but that's a horrible way to live. Because here's the problem with it. It sounds attractive because it appeals to our fleshly desires. But the problem with that, Galatians, it, Paul will go on to write in Galatians 6, 8, the one who sows to please his own sinful nature, hedonism, from that nature will he reap destruction. So if you just go live life, whatever you want to do is good for you. And, and we are, that's very much a, what, what we would call a pluralistic thinking. Uh, there's many roads that lead to God. There's no one that's right. There's no one that's wrong. Can we all get along? Blah, 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 blah. The problem with that is it creates a swamp where there is no, there's no holiness and there's no sin. There's no right and there's no wrong. Now, Aaron, it sounds like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. It feels a bit like that. I'm going to go there in just a minute. But we live in a world where, have you ever thought of this sometimes? It's like, why doesn't somebody just stand up and just say, that doesn't make any sense? You know, when I was 26, I used to think it doesn't make sense because I just don't have all, all the, everything together. Like, I don't have all the, the pieces of information. At 46, I go, no, it doesn't make sense because it just, it just doesn't make sense. And there's just things in our world that you just go, that doesn't make sense. This is crazy. This is a recipe for disaster. Well, you, there, there has to be absolutes in our world. There, 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 there has to be these things. There, there, it, without that, then... Hedonism goes, hey, man, it doesn't matter. Just do whatever you want to do, and that's truth to you, and don't put your rules on me, and I won't put my rules on you. And that sounds really awesome, except it doesn't work. Because if there is a God, and if he did give his one and only son, Jesus Christ, and if the only way to get to the Father is through the Son, then unless we declare the truth of his word, not legalistically, but unless we declare that, no one comes to salvation. 
And so the problem is we've got this tension that we live with. And, and I would say it's not a tension to be solved, but rather a tension to be managed. And, and, and that's where this, this third way of looking at life comes into play. Grace. A relationship that sets me free. And this is where Paul comes into the conversation. It's about grace. It's a relationship that sets me free. Galatians teaches us that our purpose for living isn't about keeping the rules. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is different. Because it preaches against hedonism. But it also preaches against legalism. And it stands in the middle ground, and, 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 and it, it allows the truth of Jesus Christ to, to be at work in your life and in my life to, to set us free. John chapter 8, verse 32 says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Because again, hedonism, there is no truth. Legalism, you don't ever get to the truth because you got so many rules. That the rules are not going to set me free. Living the way I want to is not going to set me free. The only thing that's going to set me free is Jesus. And Jesus isn't about religion. He's about relationship. Revelation 3, 19. I stand at the door of every man and woman's heart, and I knock. And if you open the door and you invite me to come in, I'll give you a church membership card. No. I'll give you your first communion. No. We'll do another sacrament of the church, a holy water baptism. No. I will eat with you and abide with you. It's about relationship. See, the key verse in Galatians is, is for the entire book is Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. I'm not gonna, I'll talk about that in, in, in week 5, but I'm going to give it to you now. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So today, Galatians chapter 1 I want to unpack a few verses here that I think are the crux of chapter 1 that really kind of deal with it, which is verses 6 through verse 12. And I want to read that. It's going to be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, you have a Bible, you can open up right there, chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. And I want to unpack how do we live in this tension between legalism and hedonism in our world, between a religious system and between a world that says there is no God. Where do you stand? It's called grace. It's a whole lot more firm than what you would think it would be. Verse 6, Paul says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him, capital H, speaking of Jesus, who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Verse 7, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And again, he's talking to church people here. He's talking to, talking to Hebrew believers. Verse 8, and even if we or an angel from heaven preached any other gospel to you other than what, what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. So even if it looks spiritual and it sounds spiritual and they say they're from heaven and they're supernatural, if it's not the gospel that's been preached, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish to have everlasting life. If it's not that gospel, let that person be accursed, even if they're supernatural. Verse 9. And we've said before, and now I say again, if anyone preaches another gospel to you that, that you have received, let him be accursed. Verse 10, for do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brothers, the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For neither I received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
So chapter 1 indicates that, that the believers in Galatia had replaced the gospel of Jesus Christ with what verse 6 and 7 calls a different or another gospel, a.k.a. legalism. Now, a different or another gospel is an, an oxymoron. So an oxymoron is a set of words that kind of cancel each other out. Like jumbo shrimp, right? That's an oxymoron. A live recording, oxymoron. Original coffee, co copy, right? Uh, freezer burn, two different things, right? Uh, a minor miracle, I'm, I'm getting better with these. Congressional action, just a thought. <laughs> Same difference, right? Uh, airline food, I mean, you, you see where I'm going with this. They, they don't work. It just doesn't work together. He's coming at this, and he says, this word gospel means good news. But they're replacing it just a few decades after Jesus died on the cross and the church's birth. They're replacing it in that short order with, with basically this different or another gospel. And, and he's appalled. I mean, if you l just read chapter 1, he's upset. He, he's not nice. He is just going right for, right, right, for the, right, right, right for the throat right from the very beginning. Because they're teaching that the grace of God wasn't enough to save a person. And this is a drift that most churches and religious institutions get into. And, 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 he, and, and the reason why is because it's clean. It's easy. You're in, you're out. You're saved, you're not. You're with the world, you're, you're with the church. The problem is, is that you have to make a judgment call that you and I are not, we're not called to do. Now, we're called to preach the truth. We're, we're called to stand on the truth of God's word. We're, we're called to point out sin, yes. But at the same time, most of the time when we judge someone else, we tend to judge people from our point of strength, not from our weakness. If I battle alcoholism, but I don't battle smoking, I will never preach against alcoholism, but I will talk about how you're going to just bust hell wide open for smoking cigarettes. If I don't deal with alcohol, but I deal with smoking, I'm not going to talk about smoking, but I'm going to talk about your alcohol. Why? Because I don't deal with that problem. And so we've heard preachers and ministers and churches bash people for the sin or the addiction or whatever their weakness is, but they never deal with their own. And the reality is, if we're not careful, it's not just preachers, it's just all of us. How could they do that? How could that person do that? How could they sin that way? Well, that's not your issue, but I bet you have another issue. Look, I like to say it this way. Superman has kryptonite. We all have some type of issue. There's none of us that are righteous, no, not one. And every one of us have some proclivity, some place where we fall short of the glory of God and we're not righteous. And so what happens is, is legalism, it's easy for me to put you in a category. It's clean. The problem with grace, and the problem really with Jesus, it's messy. Because the, the, the religious leaders today didn't know what to do with Jesus. The church today doesn't know what to do with Jesus. Honestly, we don't know what to do with Jesus. But, but because, because the, the, the deal is, is how do we, how are we firm in the center, but we're soft on the edges? How do we retain the fact that we're a brick that's solid and well-defined, but yet we're wrapped in velvet so that we're warm and we're not cold and harsh when people brush up against us? How do we live for God and yet be a friend to sinners? You see this? And what we want to do in, in our legalistic religious institutions is we want to solve the tension. But you can't solve the tension. 
Because the tension's there. Because you have sin in the world, but you have grace in the world. And where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And instead of trying to resolve the tension, let's just step into the tension, Paul says, and live in this tension and acknowledge this tension and put the rules away and put hedonism away and allow the grace of God that only can cover our sins to do what he can do. That's what he's talking about. Because what they're doing, it's another oxymoron. They're trying to give legalistic grace. Yes, you're saved by faith through Jesus Christ, but you need to show up at church. You need to give 10%, you need, which you do need to do that. You, 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 need to, you need to be in a small group and you do this. But what they're saying, if you don't do these things, you're going to hell. If you don't do these things, you're, going, you're not going to heaven. No. It's not true. I'm going to show you in a minute. It's an issue that we deal with because this is not an age issue. This isn't a century issue. This isn't a, uh, an era of time issue. This is a people issue. So what does it mean to be free under the gospel of grace? How do we keep from having another gospel or a different gospel? First of all, it means freedom from guilt. Freedom from guilt. See, guilt is a healthy God-given emotion. The fact that you feel sorrowful when you sin or when you've done something wrong and you know it, that's a God-given emotion. If you've ever been around someone who their, their conscience has been seared, uh, they've, in essence, blasphemed the Holy Spirit to a level that they no longer feel anything. Thank God when we err, that we feel remorse, that we feel the tinge, the conviction power of the Holy Spirit. See, because guilt shows us our need for God. It's interesting to me, we get real quiet when we talk about guilt, because nobody wants to feel guilty in America. We don't want that kind of gospel. That's why the church in North America is, is, it is shrinking at a record alarming rate. In the southern hemisphere of the world, it's, it's growing at an alarming rate. rate. In December, I will be at a church that boasts a million members. It's the largest church in the world, in Seoul, Korea. The church in China right now is exploding at record numbers, and we are having to pull missionaries out. I was just in a meeting this past week in D.C. and pulling missionaries out because of the hostility, and a lot of this is having to do with, with governmental issues, but, 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 but catch this. The church is exploding in record numbers, and they don't know what to do with it. We believe there's about a million, excuse me, uh, 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 yeah, there, 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 there's a million believers right now in, in China. It, 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 it's, it, it's, it's amazing when you just stop and think about in a, in a country where, where it's illegal. But because here's the, here's the reality is, 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 is in America, we, 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 we want Jesus the way we want Jesus. And we want church the way we want church. And we need it to fit in our schedule. We need it to fit in our pattern. We need, don't, I, I want you to preach truth, but don't get in my business. I want you to tell those people how wrong they are, but don't come talk to me. Woo, my God, somebody called me a taxi. Amen? You know what I'm talking about? That makes no sense. It just felt good to say that, okay? I, 
I'm just saying to you that the, the reality is, is that thank God for the conviction power of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for, for sometimes when we go, oh man, I fell short on that one. Oh God, please forgive me. Where we have that David, Psalm 51 moment, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, or renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your holy presence and take not your spirit from me, but restore unto me the joy of my salvation. See, we feel guilty for sin because we are guilty. We are sinners, and we are in need of God's forgiveness. But once you and I have placed our sins under the blood of Jesus Christ, he has forgiven all of our sins. Not part of our sins, not some of our sins, but all of our sins, all of our past, all of our present, all of our future. And lingering guilt over forgiven sins is a tool of the enemy. That's condemnation. Condemnation is a perversion of conviction that you feel. How do you know that? Because John chapter 3, verse 17 says, For Jesus did not come into this world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Theologically speaking, he is our Savior, not our condemnation. And if Jesus doesn't condemn us, then neither do I. Amen? There's no condemnation. So... But we know Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So when you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive you your sins, when you've asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and your life, when you've sinned even after you've come into faith in Christ and you feel that, that, that tinge of the conviction power of the Holy Spirit, you feel that guilt, thank God for that because it leads us into a right relationship with him. In that moment, you ask him to forgive you. The Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Every single time. And when he forgives you, he remembers it no more. So you go, well, how are you so certain that that's not uh, Jesus or God that's, that's, that's bringing that back up? Because he's forgotten it. Because when you go, hey, you know, remember I did this a few weeks ago or a couple months ago or a couple years ago, and you just can't forgive yourself. And I know I've asked you to forgive me, but I'm just asking for you one more time. That's unnecessary. Why? Because he's already forgiven you. And you're free. And that's hard for us to get. Because we don't forgive and forget. But he is not us. He's God. And he has the ability not just to forgive, but to forget it. And the Bible says he remembers our sin no more. See, legalism tries to place you back under the curse of guilt but grace is what sets you free every single time. That's why Paul says, this is another gospel. When you've asked Christ to come in your heart and into your life, you are set free. When you've accepted salvation to Jesus Christ, you are set free. So you are, now, you are now free from guilt. Thank God for the guilt that leads us to that point. But after we come into salvation, you're free from that guilt. Secondly, you're free from fear. You're free from fear. See, a legalist is afraid he's never done enough to please God. <laughs> and the reality is you never will. There's no way you and I can be perfect. There's no way we will ever attain salvation. We can't. And we think, uh, uh, the, the, uh, a legalist says, well, if I pray one, good, one prayer, then maybe I need to pray two prayers or better. If I have, uh, you know, if, 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 I do, if I do 50 Hail Marys, then maybe 100 Hail Marys are better. If, 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 if I've given 10% to God, then maybe 20% will be better. And if I do that, maybe God will love me. He, the Bible says he loved us when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
Do you understand that? That God loves the prostitute just as much as he loves you. He loves the drug addict right now on the streets just as much as he loves me. That God didn't love Billy Graham any more than he loved anybody else on the planet. See, in our minds, we, we rank people and we, we, we put this hierarchical deal. God doesn't do that. If you understand grace, you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because you know they're, 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 this, this is how that Christ comes into your heart and into your life and he changes you and he forgives you and you can know that you are on your way to heaven. You can know that heaven is your home. I've heard it said this way, that there are three ways to spell salvation. Some people spell salvation, it's, it's don't. They believe that they, they will go to heaven because of what they don't do and they focus on what they don't do. They think if they just don't do this and don't do that, that they're going to get to heaven. No, it's not what it's about. Some people try to, try to spell salvation, do. If I do this for God, and I do this for God, and I do this for God, and if I show up church enough, and if I do this enough, and if I do this enough, then I'm going to get to heaven. No! I used to say this when I was a youth pastor. Does going to Taco Bell make you a taco? Does going to Dairy Queen make you an ice cream cone? Does being in a garage make you a car? No, Pastor Aaron, no. no. Well, does going to church make you a Christian? No, it doesn't. The Bible says the only way that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, according to Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you are saved. Period. Your sins are forgiven. Period. You've been set free. Period. You have been emancipated. Period. And, and what Paul's going back to here in Galatians, it's a proclamation of the emancipation that we are no longer slaves to our sin. We do not have to live that way and live under that, but we are set free because the way to spell salvation is done. John, 1 John 2, 2 says that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but for the entire sins of the world. Jesus Christ paid the price on Calvary's cross. When he said, it is finished, it is finished. There is no other way that we come to heaven, that we come to salvation, that our sins are forgiven, that we receive the gospel message except through Jesus Christ. John 6, says that unless we're drawn of by the Holy Spirit, that none of us come to repentance in Christ anyhow, that he draws us. Why? Because he loves us. Not because of what we do or what we don't do, just because of who you are. Man, that's so hard for us to get. And it would be easier just to be legalistic or let's just forget the whole thing and be hedonistic. The problem is both of those islands don't work. Both of those islands end in destruction. Both of those islands will destroy your life. One inside the church, one outside the church. The only way is to, is to manage that tension with grace and understand that you are free from your guilt. You are free from fear. If you've asked Jesus Christ to come in your heart and into your life and your desire is to follow him, you are free from fear of death. Not because I said it, because God's word said it. And you're free from doubt. You're free from doubt. I ask people sometimes, you know, are, are you going to heaven when you die? And you get things like no, and I don't believe in heaven, or I don't know, or I sure hope so, or I'm not sure. You can say with certainty, yes, 
I have freedom from doubt. Why? Because this is what God's word says. Do you understand that in world religions, this is the, the, the only religion in the world, this is one of the things that sets Christianity apart from all the major world religions, is the fact that in Christianity is the only one of the major world religions where it guarantees salvation to its followers. Hindus believe that salvation is going to be attained through a, a transmigration of the soul or reincarnation. If they do enough good things, it's going to come back and they're just going to every life. It's just going to get a little better and a little better. It's kind of like a lottery for your soul. Buddhists believe if you do everything right, if you talk right, you think right, you act right, you have right motives, then you can eventually attain what they would call karma, this zen-like state. Muslims believe that uh, if you faithfully observe the five pillars of, of, of Islam, you'll be judged worthy. But nobody really, really, really knows that they're good enough for Allah. But grace, through Jesus Christ, gives us salvation. Grace, through Jesus Christ, gives us assurance. Do you remember when Jesus is dying on the cross? And there are, there's a thief to his left and a thief to his right. There's a criminal. And, 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 and we don't know their names. We just know that what they did. And we knew that the way of the cross was something that the, the, uh, the Romans used as capital punishment. And the one thief mocked Jesus and said, if you're, man, if you're really God, why don't you just come down off this cross and, and take us and save yourself and save all of us and just mocked him. The other thief goes, no, 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 no. This is the son of God. And he asked him on the cross. While Jesus is on the cross, the thief to the right and the left are on the cross. They're all there. And he said, have mercy on me. Forgive me my sins. I, I believe that you're God. I believe we're worthy of this, but you're not. And Jesus looks at him and he says, today, and the King James uses the word verily, which is the highest word to describe absolute truth. It's actually where we would get the same word promise from. Verily I say unto you that today you will be with me in paradise. The thief on the cross doesn't have the ability to have communion because communion doesn't save you. If it saved you, then you're not saved by faith. You're saved through your own works. He doesn't have the ability to, to be water baptized. Again, he's on the cross. He's going to die within a matter of hours. Jesus doesn't say, hey, if you can get your life cleaned up, and then maybe you can come back to church, and maybe we'll give you a chance. No, he's going to die in a few hours. No, Jesus simply said, Today, verily I say unto you that today you'll be with me in paradise. Verily, I promise you that today when you leave this world, when, 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 when your body dies and my body dies, then when we go before God the Father, and can you imagine, I'm going to see that on the heavenly IMAX, can you imagine what that will be like? That you walk into eternity, into heaven, into paradise with the Father and the Holy Spirit and Gabriel and all the archangels and the entire host of heaven as Jesus comes back as he's paid, paid for the sins of the world. And Jesus doesn't walk in by himself, but rather this is a thief that was on the cross next to me. And because he believes, he's the first one to get to go to heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. 
It's not Peter. It's not James. It's not John. It's not the beloved. It's this criminal who has no name, who has no spiritual pedigree. There is no way he can jump through any of the hoops. There's no way he can have any of the sacraments of the church. There's no way. But yet because he confesses with his mouth and he believes in his heart that Jesus is Lord, he is saved, forgiven, free. Galatians is our emancipation proclamation as Christ followers. It's our ability to sing that we are free at last, that we do not have to live under a yoke of bondage and slavery to our sins and a yoke of bondage and slavery to religious institutions and a yoke of bondage and slavery to ourselves, but yet we are free in Him. That's the good news. That's the gospel, that I can literally go and sin no more. That, that The power that raised Christ from the dead that dwells in me. Because our salvation, it's personal. It's not ritualistic. Our, our salvation is, is inward. It's not outward. It's not, the things that I, it's not like a suit that I put on. It's spiritual. It's not material. And so today, I just want to simply end with this. I, I hope this makes sense, and I hope this, this, this really stretches us a bit. And some of the things that I've said you may know, and some of you, you may have been, man, I have always feared. What if I'm not good enough? The good news is you're, you're not, and you'll never be. But God doesn't expect you to be good enough. That's why he gave his only son, Jesus Christ. If you just ask him to come in your heart and into your life and be your Lord and be your Savior... You know, I heard somebody say, well, so can I just get saved and go live the way I want to? When Jesus comes into your heart and into your life, you don't want to. You understand? I'm not saying that you won't sin. I'm not saying that you're not tempted. I'm just saying you don't want to. Because what you realize is what Jesus did for you wasn't a transaction. It was at a relationship that he laid down his life for you and for me. And what I want to do is take the life that I have and live it for him. What I want to do is raise my children so that they live the same way. And my grandchildren, that they live the same way. And my great-grandchildren, they live the same way. And I want to be in a biblically functioning community of other Christ followers. Because that's the good news. And I don't have to be plagued by sin. I don't have to be plagued by the insufficiencies and the insecurities. But that I'm free in Jesus Christ. So I just want to close in prayer today. And maybe you're here today and you're far away from God. And in just a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity if you want to give your life to Christ is simply to pray a prayer. Praying the prayer doesn't save you, but if you believe the prayer that you're about to pray, you will be saved. And as you pray that prayer, I'm going to ask other people in this room that have prayed that prayer before to lend their voice with you. And we're going to pray this together. Because there's no need for us to have to live under legalistic rule or hedonistic rule but rather to live, we can live in the grace that Jesus Christ has given us. And if you want that today and you don't have that today, you can simply do that by inviting him into your heart and into your life. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Everyone in this place, if you're here today and you say, hey, Aaron, I want to give my life to Christ. I, 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 I just want that, that freedom from my sin. I, I want that relationship with Jesus. I, I'm like, the, like the, the thief that's on the cross. I just want to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer with me. Praying the prayer doesn't save you, but if you believe the prayer that you're about to pray, that's the salvation because you believe in Jesus. If that's you, I want you to, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And those of you that are Christ followers, lend your voice, everyone. Even if you're watching online, lend your voice. 
with, 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 with those that are praying this prayer for the very first time. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and to come into my life and set me free from the yoke of slavery to sin. I believe that you, Jesus, are my salvation. Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave, just like the Bible says. I ask you, come into my heart, to come into my life, take my sin away. Remember it no more. And I ask for freedom, for joy, for peace that your word says that I can have. I receive the good news of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I pray for every person that prayed that prayer, that the peace of God that passes understanding would fill their hearts, that joy beyond description, Lord, would be theirs. And God, that the guilt would be gone, that the freedom, would be, they would begin to experience that and to walk in this newness of life. And I pray for all of us. That have, been, that have been following you for, for quite some time in our life, that we would just check our own soul and make sure that we're not getting crusty, make sure that we're not legalistic, make sure that we're not just, just, just trying to get into religious order, but rather to allow the grace, which is sometimes messy, which is sometimes complicated, but that it's what saves us to allow that grace to fill our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen.